We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You're listening to Setting the Pace. Now, here's your hosts, Alex Golden and the great Kent Sterling. What's going on, Pacer Nation? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. Sorry we are a day late, but joining me as he does every week, the one and only Kent Sterling. Kent, what's going on, man? Are you kidding me? What a huge weekend. All the Indiana teams won. I can't remember a time that that's happened uh, in, in football, and hopefully the Pacers get going soon and we can start celebrating Pacer wins. Absolutely. I mean, that was a great win by the Indiana Hoosiers against Rutgers. Um, I'm not a Purdue fan, so I don't even know who they play. Was it Illinois? Is that, is that who they play? Illinois. They won by seven. They pushed, uh, but that's okay. Okay, so Purdue got the win. Sorry to all my Purdue listeners. I'm not a fan. And then the Colts came out and spanked the Lions and just kind of manhandled them. Um, and, you know, it was a little bit of a rough start, I guess. I wasn't sure how the game was going to go, but uh, they took care of business, and then they just put the hammer down. And that defense yeah. for the Colts is looking really good. And I thought the same thing about IU's defense. It's looking pretty good as well. When they dial up the pressure and make quarterbacks make mistakes, they get really, really good. And that's what Eberflus did yesterday with Colts. And uh, very, very nice win. I thought that was terrific. Absolutely. Well, we'll get to some basketball stuff here now because this is a Pacers podcast. And so we'll start things off here with uh, Mark Stein tweeting about um, uh, Danny Manning, former NBA All-Star and uh, Wake Forest head coach, emerging as a candidate for new coach Nate Bjorgren staff in Indiana. And he tweeted this about, a, about you know, four or five days ago. Um, so, Kent, you know, it doesn't really say that Danny is going to be part of the staff, but um, he does have connections with Kevin Pritchard. And I think that Danny Manning is somebody that would probably be a good voice for, for the big man in the locker room. You know, and, and that's fine. I, I, 
Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of agnostic about the whole thing. I, I sat at Pacers practices for years and watched Popeye Jones and, and Bill and Dan work with guys. I couldn't tell you what, whether they, what they did was good for the Pacers. Was it because we, we don't see what other staffs do? So I have no idea. Is Danny Manning going to come in here and be a really good kind of a mentor for big guys and get Goga and Miles and, and Domas right? I, I just have no idea. What it sounded like to me is maybe a plant by an agent trying to turn up the heat on one of his clients and get the guy a job. Danny Manning made some money as the head coach at Wake Forest for years. And uh, so I'm sure any made a lot of money in the NBA too, but I think he wants to get back to work. And so this, this seems uh, not that Mark Stein deals in that kind of, that kind of currency, but it seems like maybe this is what that was. I don't see any, while we do see a, a linkage between Pritchard and, and Manning, I don't know that there's any between Bjorkren and Manning. And, and what I think that Bjorkren ought to do is bring in his own guys and surround himself with people that he absolutely believes in and wants to go to war with. Yeah, and I mean, I know that he did say, Bjorkren said that him and Pritchard would work together with coming up with his bench staff because, you know, this is his, his first head coaching gig uh, in the NBA. Now he has had other, you know, stops and, you know, the G League and the D League and stuff like that. But, you know, I, I can kind of see where Danny Manning would make some sense because I think – the Pacers, especially since, uh, especially really since the Frank Vogel era, they've always had a former player on the bench, Brian Shaw and Nate McMillan come to mind, and then Popeye Jones as well. Uh, just having a former player that might be able to understand the guys a little bit better. They did talk about um, Nick Nurse, I know, talked about when he hired his staff, he wanted coaches that had head coaching experience. So I do think that that could make some sense because even though it wasn't uh, necessarily at the NBA level, Danny Manning has had, you know, plenty of head coaching experience because he's been head coaching since 2012, uh, where he was head coach at Tulsa and one conference coach of the year. So, I mean, yeah, I think that there is some intrigue there. And, you know, he was an all-star. And that, to me, is enticing because you get a guy that's, you know, been a star before and he kind of knows what it's like. Um, you know, his NBA career was, I don't know, would you say it was really good? I mean, I don't know. It was good. And yeah. I, I'm just, I don't know much about Danny Manning because he was kind of past, you know, his prime whenever I got into watching basketball as a kid. But I mean, I do think that he would be a nice addition to the bench. But of course, there's got to be other slots filled, and I think Bjorkman can fill those out on his own. Yeah, and and I think that that should be his responsibility, and that Kevin should put to work kind of the the resources of the front office behind it, it just as Nick Nurse did when he hired Bjorkren. I mean, he'd known Bjorkren forever, but still Bjorkren had to go through the interviews with the front office and present his case. And I think that that's a healthy part of the process. Yeah, absolutely. And then, of course, Dan Burke, we saw this past week, he gets scooped up uh, by the Philadelphia 76ers as an assistant coach. And Joel Embiid actually tweeted at him, which I thought was hilarious because we know the infamous video of Dan Burke saying that he can't stand <laughs> Joel Embiid, basically. Uh, you know, Embiid coming at him saying, now you get to the benefit of all my calls that you didn't like before. So I thought that was funny. And then Nate McMillan's name has actually surfaced a few times. It looks like uh, he could have interest in being an assistant coach this year after he said he would not want to coach again, maybe take a year off. But looks like he could be uh, heading down to Houston with Steven Silas. And I actually saw somewhere that um, Atlanta 
uh, Lloyd Pierce there had interest in bringing on McMillan to kind of help with their defense. So uh, what are your thoughts on those two guys uh, possibly becoming assistant coaches? Or, of course, Dan Burke is becoming an assistant coach with Philadelphia. You know, I, I think that Philadelphia gets a basketball lifer who's going to be in the gym constantly and is going to offer great kind of advice to players and be exactly the guy he was here for 23 years. I think Nate McMillan, ironically, would be a wonderful choice if he hadn't just been fired or if the Pacers and he hadn't separated as his contract expired. He'd be a wonderful option for the player or for the Pacers. I think he'd be a terrific guy for Bjorkman to have around as a resource, just as Frank Vogel did with, with McMillan. But, you know, nobody takes that gig. You know, yeah. you're not going to keep you as head coach. Oh, we'd like you to stay as the uh, assistant. That never works out. I can't think of a single time that's been done. No, I can't either. And it's kind of like why the Pacers let Thad Young go, because it was like, hey, Thad, we're going to bring uh, DeMontis in to start. You're going to come off the bench, like, after starting the last three or four years of the team. Like, I, you know, it's just an awkward situation. But, yeah. uh, you know, it's you got to do what you got to do in that situation as a player. But as a coach, uh, probably just good to move on and – you know, it's kind of awkward to step down if you were the voice and let someone else be the voice and still be around. I mean, especially if players really liked him, you know, that'd be weird. But inter- interesting stuff as well. And then I guess the last thing, the last bit of news here, uh, well, we got two things. It was interesting. Kevin O'Connor last week uh, reported that there has already been some talks between the Pacers and the Bucks about a, a trade around Victor Oladipo. Now, how serious those talks were, how how deep they got, we don't know. But is there anybody on Milwaukee that entices you uh, for Victor Oladipo? Well, you're going to hate this, but and, and I'm not saying that this would be a good deal, but I really still like Eric Bledsoe. Oh, Ken. Bledsoe, from the time he was at Kentucky, and I hate Kentucky, but watching Eric Bledsoe play basketball at the speed that he plays it is just really entrancing to me. I, I like Bledsoe as a guy who runs an offense well. He, he's a plus defender. Um, I, he moves the ball in transition at a pace that I really like. I, I kind of dig blood. So I'm not saying straight up that that'd be a deal that I'd be, I'd be interested in making, but I wouldn't mind seeing blood. So come to the Pacers. Yeah. I just, uh, <laughs> I've just seen too much of Bledsoe in the playoffs, not follow through, which has been discouraging to me. And I no. don't think that I want to go down the Malcolm Brogdon, Eric Bledsoe, uh, you know, pairing again, because obviously there was some awkwardness in Milwaukee because Milwaukee picked Bledsoe over Brogdon, ended up trading Brogdon and and decided to go with Bledsoe. So how awkward would that be? Especially if they're like, okay, Malcolm, uh, Eric's here to replace Vic. He's going to be our point guard. You're going to slide to the two now. I don't really think Brogdon would enjoy that because that's part of the reason he came here. I did throw out a three-team trade that I said would make sense that I liked uh, (laughs) (laughs) because, I mean, like you said, Eric Bledsoe is a good basketball player. Um, he's not great, but he's good, you know, and I, I threw out like Eric Bledsoe, DJ Wilson and Indiana's first round pick that was traded to Milwaukee and the Brogdon sign and trade to Sacramento. Uh, Milwaukee gets a leaf and uh, TJ leaf and Victor Oladipo to make salaries match and the Pacers get buddy healed. And somebody was like, why would Sacramento do this? And I'm like, well, they're getting a first round pick and a guy that would probably be really good defensively in the backcourt with De'Aaron Fox. I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, that does make sense. Um, I, you know, I the the thing with Oladipo, and I'm I'm almost done writing the thing about Oladipo, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna go deeper into it as the week goes on. 
uh, about the reasons to keep him and the reasons to deal him. But the thing with Oladipo is who, who's going to pony up, right? Oladipo to me is like your house. Yeah. And, and like we love our house. But if a guy drives up and pulls up, he gets out of his car, he's got a sack full of cash that totals $100,000 more than market value for this house. I'm going to the store buying boxes. I'm going to rent a truck, and I will have us out of here by sunrise tomorrow morning. You know what I mean? Victor mm-hmm. Oladipo is that guy to me, where you don't have to be necessarily blown away by a deal that somebody offers, but they've got to come with stuff that make you passionate about the prospect of giving him up because there are legitimate reasons to keep Victor Oladipo around. Mm -hmm. If Victor Oladipo can revert back to form, back to pre-injury form, if he can rehab that leg and strengthen that muscle, that quad to the point where he can, he can be that quick defensively and he can explode offensively and he can be that kind of all-star that sort of, you know, top 15 barely type guy, you'd be crazy to deal him. Yeah. But if he can't do it, you'd be crazy not to deal him. No, I agree with that, Kent. And I I think that it's just tough. And, you know, it's funny because I've been listening to some people talk about Buddy Heald and, you know, different players the Pacers could go get. We're actually going to have someone that covers the Kings come on tomorrow's show with me and Fachi to discuss some Oladipo trade idea stuff. So I'll, uh, I'll, I'll save my thoughts on that. But when I look at Milwaukee, it's like, you know, they're trying to entice Giannis. And this is a team that I actually thought a while ago made sense in an Oladipo trade, just because I feel like, Hey, like you said, if Oladipo can become that guy, I think he's a better fit than Eric Bledsoe, even though he might not be the defender they could start George Hill. And who's a, who's a really good three and D type of player. Giannis runs the point. You got Middleton and Oladipo playing off of them with Brooke Lopez. I mean, I mean, is it that big of an upgrade over Bledsoe? I'd say a little bit if Oladipo can get back to who he once was. But, you know, it would probably make Giannis feel better knowing he's got another all-star there with him. They're both free agents. I think my biggest thing here with Milwaukee is if they lose both Giannis and Oladipo, they're probably going to go into another rebuild, which would suck for that franchise. But that would get them off a lot of, you know, salary cap if they could, you know, let Giannis walk plus Oladipo leave as well. They'd probably be, you know, you know, you know, trading Chris Middleton, Brooke Lopez, whoever. And and to me, that's why I could almost see them trying to get rid of Middleton in this deal, keeping Bledsoe, keeping Lopez uh, to try to get off that salary if they were going to go into like a, a complete rebuild if, if Oladipo and Giannis were to walk away in that deal. I wonder if a trade for Victor Oladipo would be something that Giannis would really embrace. You know what I mean? I I don't know why, what it would be about, because Victor's kind of an odd cat. Victor's very mercurial. You know, he's an iconoclast. He, he's, he, he likes to be a peacock. He sees basketball through his eyes, not the eyes of the other four guys on the floor. I, I don't know. Like, fit is a really big deal for me in basketball, and I just don't know whether those two guys fit on the same floor together at all. Yeah, not good shooters. Um, And I think that you make a lot of, you know, good points with Victor because part of the reason he wanted to leave Oklahoma City was he didn't like being the number two guy behind Russell Westbrook. He likes being number one. But that kind of conflicts with some of the reporting that he wants to go to Miami because – He's going to be behind the totem pole when it comes to Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler, at least. Uh, 
And if Tyler Hero continues to play like he's been playing, he's going to be behind him as well. Uh, that might sound crazy, but it's, it's true. So really, I think that Oladipo would probably prefer to stay in Indiana if he can be the number one guy and if he can get paid the most here. But if I'm the Pacers, that's a risk that's, you know, they're going to have to really think about. Is it, is it going to be smart to, to trade for or trade a guy that could be a top 20 player in the NBA? Or, or do you take the risk and overpay for a guy that you think could get back to that level, but that, but never does. That's the weird deal. This is, yeah. this is the weirdest off season. Number one, the timing's completely squirrely, but the, the kind of, the questions that Kevin Pritchard and the Pacers front office need to answer this offseason are just vexing to me. Like you could put all those guys in a room, get all the dry erase boards in downtown Indianapolis, all in that conference room, and, and sit there for days and talk about this stuff and still not come up with a consensus. Oh, <laughs> I know. And it's like there's so many different things they could do. I just – to me personally, what I would do is I would kind of gauge the market, see what his value is. If there's anybody out there that's willing to take a risk, yeah. then, then maybe you make that trade. I think I will say this. Um, I don't want to spoil it too much for tomorrow's show because I'm going to ask this question, but I, I'll go ahead and say it here, Kent. Like a, a team that wants to win now and they've got a young roster, they don't have, you know, they, they've not made the playoffs in a while. Like we'll talk about Sacramento. I'll just go ahead and say it. Let's say, for example, they make a trade for Oladipo because they think, well, if he can get healthy, then, you know, this makes our team better. So they make that trade. However, let's say that they realize Oladipo is not going to sign long-term. And so they end up doing like just a straight up Buddy Hill for Oladipo swap because we know that Buddy Hill's value is a little bit down because of his, you know, inability to re- return a phone call or a text message from Luke Walton. So, you know, there, there comes that bridge that, could really help that trade happen um, just because the value could be a little bit lower for, for healed. But let's say that Sacramento makes this trade for Oladipo. He plays really well and they realize hey, he's not going to resign with us. Then they could flip him once he's proven that he's really good at the trade deadline and get something back that they might get more in return than they would have gotten for Buddy Hill. I mean, do you think a team would be, you know, willing to take a risk on a player like that? You know, that's a great question. I, I, it's, it's, it's a and it's a great question, and I have no easy answer for that question. I yeah. it, it, this is uh, this the the timing of this off season is so unusual, and and the unknown of the salary cap and the tax threshold is so unusual that that I think doing the kind of vetting that we would normally do during an ordinary kind of free agency period and trade period is just kind of out the window. Mm-hmm. yeah that, I mean that's that's probably true and it's just kind of like so hard to understand because we expect the NBA to come back before Christmas but now it looks like it might not and so that would give the offseason a little bit of a longer time and I think with a longer offseason um, it's already been long enough but I'm saying if it's extended to January do you think that increases the likelihood of more moves or do you think that there's more moves to be made if it happens within you know, the next 50 to 60 days. Well, here's why I think it's going to wind up going on December 22nd, if the NBA is being honest with the numbers, because what they're saying is it's going to cost them up to a billion dollars mm-hmm. to delay this season for a month. So if they postpone the start of the season from December 22nd, which is where they want it, to like MLK Day, 
that is going to cost, if that costs a billion dollars to the owners, it's going to cost $500 million to the players because basketball related revenue is split 50 50. $500 million means that every single player or the average uh, salary reduction for every player in the NBA is going to be a million bucks. For a million dollars, would you not play some basketball between December 22nd and January 16th or whatever? Would you not get, like, get your sneakers out of the box, go to the gym, and get some shots up if it meant an extra million dollars for the month? Maybe I live in a la-la land where like a million dollars is a lot of money, and to these guys, it's just another giant Bentley. I don't know. But for a million bucks... I'm getting, I'm getting in the gym, and I'm getting ready to play, especially if I'm one of the eight teams that hadn't played since last March, and I don't really give a damn less about LeBron James and the Lakers and the guys who played for the Heat and were playing until October 11th. That doesn't mean anything to me. I'm not leaving a million dollars on the table after I haven't played basketball the last nine months. Yeah, no, I agree with all that because I think what it comes down to, I mean – we, we know LeBron's probably in there really vocalizing how he feels about restarting, which I understand. Like, dude, you were in a bubble for how many months? You know, three or four months. You won the NBA championship in October. Starting back up on Christmas is not ideal. But uh, unfortunately, LeBron James, there's, you know, about 449 other players in the NBA. So right. uh, there's there's other guys that haven't played since March 11th. There's There's guys that haven't played like the Pacers, you know, since late August. You know what I mean? So it's like, some of these, most of these teams quit playing in the middle of September. That is three months. That is plenty of time for a normal off season. And, you know, Costin, I mean, you think about it, like NFL, there's a lot of players that have non-guaranteed contracts and you have a lot of guys on the lower, on the lower paying scale, but then you have quarterbacks that are getting paid gobs of money. Like in the NBA, there are players that are making tons of money, like even like a Tobias Harris type player that could afford to, you know, lose a million dollars. But then you got, several of young players that would hate that. Yeah. Absolutely hate that. A lot of guys on these, you know, probably don't even make a million dollars per year. I mean, for Alizé Johnson, Edmund Sumner, you talking about those guys getting up a million bucks? How's that going to work? So, you know, those guys are probably like, we need to play as soon as possible. And they're probably itching to, to get started again. It really just, you think about the last four teams that were standing in the playoffs. Sure. They might be a little bit fatigued, but Hey, if the NBA starts on Christmas Day, you know who's going to be in a uniform? LeBron James, because LeBron James is all about that publicity. And right. he'll play on Christmas, and, and then he might take a week off. But who cares? I mean, to, to me, it's just like if it's, if it's pushed back to Martin Luther King Jr. Day, it doesn't affect me. But as a fan, you know, I want to see him start sooner because I want, to get, I want this to get back on schedule. And if they start a month sooner and they have to play 72 games, they're going to save money and – Imagine them trying to play 72 games starting a month later. I mean, what, what would that even look like? And those guys, they all got four months off. Yeah. Like, it, it's not like they just played nonstop and just ended on October 11th or whatever. They, they were off for, what was it? They, they came back, they got to the bubble like at the end of June. So that's March 11th to the end of June. They had three and a half months unscheduled off with their families. That's enough. Now it's time to get back to business. And, and you're right. Starting on December 22nd is what facilitates 2021-2022 being back on schedule and, and being what we expect the NBA to be. And if you don't do that, you're putting at risk. 
We saw what the ratings were, what the TV ratings were. If you, if you start to posture, and I get the union doing it because they're negotiating and that's what they're paid to do. But if the players, if they really get antsy about this and, and LeBron says, you know what, uh, I'm, I'm good out here in Catherine Hepburn's old house that used to belong to Lee Phillips Bell that I bought for $38.6 million. I, I'm, not, I'm not coming to work until, let's say, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. That's when I'm going to start showing up to work. People are going to take that poorly. The, yeah. the fans will take that poorly, and they will see this as a guy who believes that his life is fundamentally different from everybody else's. When our employers tell us to get to work, we get to work. Because yeah. if we don't, we're going to lose our damn jobs. <laughs> you know, if, if he thinks somehow he can exist above that as a professional basketball player, that's going to rub people the wrong way. Yeah, I mean, like you said, that's a good point too. You know, three and a half months off before the bubble restarted, before the season restarted, they already had part of their off season in the middle of the year. I mean, this is a pandemic season, uh, pandemic year. It's an election year. It's a crazy year. Twenty twenty has been completely opposite of what I anticipated it being <laughs> January first. You know what I mean? We just kind of got to roll with the punches. And, and to me, it's like it's you take a bit of a risk. You know, um, or you, you know, not a risk, but you take a bit of a hit starting the season on December 22nd. It's not ideal, but this isn't an ideal year. Nothing is going like we want it to go. So it's just, you, you learn how to adapt and you move on with it. And, and it, it's, it's frustrating to me because like, I get it. Like everyone's going to be like these players, you know, uh, they make millions of dollars. We shouldn't hate on them. And then you got people on the other side that are like, yeah, don't just treat them like an athlete. They're bigger than that. They've just been in a bubble for three and a half months without their family and all this, you know, and yeah. I'm like, I'm like, I find myself somewhere in the middle. It's like, look, I get both sides of it. You know, if I was making $38 million a year, probably like LeBron James is making or 40 million, whatever he's making. Sure. I'd come to work on December 22nd. If that's what it meant, I got paid for, you know, I mean, I go to work every day for, you know, not that much money. You know, it's a decent amount for, for a normal middle-class guy that's got a, you know, a ranch and a three-bedroom, two-bath house and can't, you know, I'm a live check. I mean, I live week to week with my paychecks, right? So it's, uh, you know, I, I work every day. I don't get three and a half months off. I get that side of things too. But, um, you know, as, as entertainers, as NBA players, this is, you know, something that is very important, not just to the fans, but it's important to the entire league. And, you know, the fans probably won't even be back in the arena by, by this next season anyway, finishing up. So just bite the bullet for this one season, move on with it, and then come 21-22, you'll be back on schedule like normal. And, LeBron, this is probably another good year for you to get a good run on a championship. I want to go back to something you said about the bubble and spending three and a half months in the bubble being an enormous sacrifice. Um, have you ever, at Disney World, have you ever stayed at the Grand Floridian Resort? Uh, I have not, but I've heard great things about it. It's quite unbelievable. I stayed there for a night. I, and what it was like to me, and I've been to Disney World probably a half a dozen times and stayed at different properties. And, and so staying at the Grand Floridian has done to Disney World for me what flying first class did to me as far as flying coach or flying Southwest. Once you fly first class, you're like, oh, my God, this is the best thing ever. <laughs> I love this. Mr. Sterling, would you like another gin and tonic? 
Mr. Sterling, would you like another shrimp cocktail? It's unbelievable. It's just the best. You're so pampered up there, and the people in back are treated like cattle. Yeah. That's the way it is at Disney World, the Grand Floridian Resort. It's unbelievable. These are the most comfortable beds you've ever slept in in your life, you and me. All right, for them, I'm sure they have custom-made beds, and they're unbelievably opulent, and, and it's like sleeping on a cloud every night of your life. And if you don't like that mattress, you get a new one tomorrow, and who cares? You're never going to miss the old one. Mm-hmm. But this is a sacrifice. This is not – this is the kind of sacrifice that people like you and me dream about. So I, I don't like hearing about bubble existence as a sacrifice. It's not. You, you stayed at a beautiful resort for three and a half months. You got to do everything you wanted to do while you were down there, except have like strange ladies come in. And you had to, as your responsibility, you had to play basketball every second or third day. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's going to be okay. Yeah, I mean, it's not as bad as some people make it out to be. I mean, I do think that I would be very lonely without my spouse there. You know, I've, I feel bad for these coaches, you know, just as much because – They've got kids. A lot of them do. Some of the players don't. I mean, you look at a guy like Caruso, Kuzma, like they don't have kids. I mean, sure, they have family, but, you know, they're still young guys, and it really probably didn't have the same impact on them like it did, like guys like LeBron and guys that have kids like that, Gordon Hayward, of course, um, Mike Conley, those kind of players, you know, but they weren't there for three and a half months. I mean, they were there for a couple months, and, you know, it's just like they got paid a bunch of money to do it, so it's like their family understands like, hey, I mean, it's no different than them being on the road for a long time as well in a normal situation. And they didn't have to travel. So, I mean, there's definitely pros and cons and I see both sides of everything, Kent. And I don't want to be like that, you know, like that guy that's like, well, they don't need to complain because I understand like there are some reasons why you would not want to be in the bubble for that long because they were clearly not like they live a pampered life and that's not pampered to them. So that almost felt like a prison to some of them, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah. So I just, you know, I just, I just want the league to to figure things out. I mean, if the players lose money and the league loses money, like it just takes a hit on everybody altogether, and it could hurt the Pacers financially. So like, I want them to figure that out for that reason. But as far as when they start and how it affects me personally, um, it does not uh, impact me what whatsoever. I just, the sooner the game starts, the more there is to talk about on the podcast. And that's the only reason I'm excited for an earlier start. Well, and I think it's the more normal we get, the more normal stuff that is given us, I think that the better it is for all of us. You Mm -hmm. know, these are uncertain times, weird times. Some people are really terrified. I talk to people every day who are terrified by what's going on. I'm not one of those. But the more normal we get, the better it's going to be. And, and Christmas, to me, I, I don't know how these things kind of became commingled, but Christmas and the NBA just kind of go hand in hand, and I'm cool with it. And, and I want NBA basketball on, on Christmas Day. And, and if that makes me, you know, some kind of a hard ass toward guys like Chris Middleton, who's making like 30-plus million dollars, for doing what he does well then I'm a hard ass <laughs> yeah no I get that it's like if we could have football on Thanksgiving and an NBA on an NBA games on Christmas Day I feel like you know we could kind of feel like 2020 ended somewhat normal <laughs> yeah. you know and I get that I get that logic so Kent um, that's pretty much all we have to talk about today. Maybe next week we'll come up with some more topics to discuss as we get closer to draft day. Maybe we'll find out some more news on the NBA restarting, but 
other than that, there's not too, too much to talk about. Maybe we'll get Nate Bjorgren's assistant coaching staff filled by that point. But That'd be nice. Yeah, is there anything else that you could think of that you would like to talk about before we sign off? Well, I, I think that I would be uh, remiss by not mentioning both Jim Boylan and Goga Batadze. Oh, uh, Lord. <laughs> oh, man, I thought, we were go- I thought we were so close. And, you know, I-, I tweeted at you. I don't know if you caught on, but it was like a picture of Danny Manning and a picture of – uh, Nate Bjorgren on Twitter and I said man it'd be funny if all of our coaches were bald this year and then I said <laughs> I said hey Kent yeah. oh that's why okay. yeah 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 well, yeah remember when I said hey Kent yeah uh, you want is Jim Boylan bald <laughs> <laughs> and some people are like oh my god I was just laughing but uh but yeah Kent no it's definitely been fun I think this offseason is going to be interesting no matter what happens I think that we'll see the Pacers at least be rumored uh, even more than they already have, especially the closer we get to draft day. And on draft night, I think the Pacers will be fielding a lot of phone calls because if they get an offer they can't refuse, yeah. they they have to be smart and take it. I mean, I know they're in the middle of a rebuild, but like I said, I really feel like a lot of what Bjorgren and uh, Pritchard said was PR speak. I do think that they are probably going to be a little bit more aggressive. Uh, and, and a lot of times these rumors that float around, I would say the Pacers are probably as tight-lipped as any organization a lot of stuff does not get out. Um, nobody even had Bjorgren as a candidate. Um, right. There's been nothing about their assistant coaches. I mean, besides Danny Manning being a candidate. And who even said that came from the Pacers? So that's why I think it's really interesting. The Pacers have been super tight-lipped. I, I just would not be surprised if a, a sudden change happened all of a sudden. You know, I, I wouldn't either. And I think that it's time for Kevin Pritchard to be that guy. He was that guy when he was in Portland. I think it's time to be that guy again. Because without making bold moves, like bold moves are what's going to take you from 8th to 10th in the NBA into the top five. The downside of that is it could also take you to 15 to 20. But I think if you're going to win a championship, you got to break some eggs. And this might be the offseason to do it. Yeah, especially if you're trying to save money. And that's why it gets so interesting to me because if they extend Oladipo this year, um, then they got T.J. Warren coming up the year after that. They're going to be really close to that tax money, and I don't think they're going to be paying it for those players. So um, trying to find the right amount of money for for Victor on the right contract, um, you know, paying both your your center and your power forward and turner to bonus, about $35, $36 million combined, with Brogdon making about $21, and then Warren, um, he's probably going to get close to 20 or if not at least 20 So, that's a lot of money to have invested in your starting five. And it's just something the Pacers really haven't done in a long time. You know, to me, that's goodbye, TJ Warren, right? Really? If they extend Vic and they know that Vic's going to be okay physically. Uh, TJ is, is that piece that goes, you're not going to deal Brogdon. You're not going to deal Sabonis Turner, unless they deal him this off season, I don't think they're going to deal him. And, and that makes to me, TJ Warren, the odd man out because you're right you're not going to spend into the luxury tax and the luxury tax is going to come down i i think that really the economy of the nba has sort of has sort of gone off the interstate and it's going to be a while before it gets back on see i disagree with that i think that if turner um if they keep turner this this year i don't think it means they won't get rid of him next off season i think they might want to just see what bjorkman can do with the two bigs and then make a decision and I think that, you know, they might find out that, hey, this still isn't something we really love. It's just okay. 
I mean, Warren, I just feel like he's played with Bjorkren. I think that if he plays the power forward position, I think it would benefit him a little bit more than playing the three, uh, going up against, you know, guys that might be more his size at the four would make more sense. Guys, he could take off the dribble a little bit better. I just, I don't, I don't necessarily, I think it would be the opposite. I think if they extend Oladipo, Turner would be the first one to go. And um, I think Warren would probably get the extension. It might not be as much as maybe he might want, but if he likes the situation, would he take a bit of a bargain deal similar to Sabonis' deal? But yeah, I mean, Jeremy Lamb is somebody I'd rather get rid of. Jeremy Lamb and Turner to create some money. I would rather do that than, than get rid of TJ Warren. Yeah, I well, here's what I think is the most likely scenario is that with Bjorkren, he's going to figure out how to have these two guys coexist and thrive together. So uh-huh. that I, that's my supposition in, in deciding that Turner's going to be kept. I think Bjorkren is going to look at enough tape and either figure out this is going to work or this is not going to work. And I think him believing that it's going to work was one of the reasons that he wound up being the guy that they picked to be that coach. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a good point. I mean, they very well could work. And I think like the most likely scenario is Victor is not brought back. And then they try to find a replacement for Vic. Yeah. With the, with the five or with the four there, with the core four with Warren Turner, Sabonis and Brogdon. Who that guy is, I don't know. I mean, the reason I think Buddy Heald is a name that keeps coming up is his contract is declining. Um, it's like 22 or 24 this year, but it, it steadily comes down. So that could make some sense. I just trying to build a roster that you feel like can compete at the top level. And, you know, if you're paying a bunch of guys that are seven and eights, uh, around 18 to 20 million each, they, they might get you 45, 50 wins a year, but are they going to win you a championship? Probably not. So I think that they've got to make some tough cuts here and make some tough trades. Let me ask you, because it, it, you bring up Buddy Heald as much as I bring up Goga Batadza. Yeah. Heald has never been an all-star, right? Neither has Goga. <laughs> no, no. I, right. But, but he's like the return piece that you covet. But he's never been – he's never played for a winning team, and he's never been the guy that you looked at and said, this guy's going to be an all-star despite the fact that he's a really good shooter and he scored almost 1,700 points uh, two seasons ago. What is it that you love? And I'm not being, like, derisive. Uh, what is it that you love about Buddy Heald? Well, I would say, like, if you're going to get rid of Vic or if you think Vic's not part of your long-term plans – um, you need a shooting guard, and this is a guy yeah. that shot 40, 41%, I believe, from the three-point line last year. Lights-out shooter. He's been on two really bad franchises. I mean, before New Orleans traded him, they were, you know, heading completely south. Anthony Davis couldn't stay healthy. They had nobody surrounding him. Uh, I think Rondo was there at that point. Each one more was probably in there. Like, it was a really weird roster. Goes to Sacramento. Dave Yeager is kind of a tough-nosed coach. And uh, that didn't pan out probably as well as they had hoped. He gets fired. I mean, Vladi Divac and Peja were obviously not the greatest general managers there, uh, drafted Marvin Bagley over Luka Doncic. So, uh, obviously, there was some weirdness going on there. And then I think Luke Walton is probably the worst coach in the NBA right now, um, if not the worst in the top three worst coaches in the NBA. So, I just really feel like Buddy needs a winning situation. And if, if he was brought here, the Pacers have been really good at that. Look at T.J. Warren last year. Bringing a guy from a losing situation onto this roster and, and, and maximizing that talent 
And I just think like if you can get a lights out shooter, the Pacers haven't had a you know a lights out shooter like that in a very long time. I know Bojan was pretty good at knocking down the three point shot, but I just think he makes a ton of sense. I would start him immediately, even if they did a Turner trade. I would start him. He's not the greatest defender, but um, I don't think that you're going to have a choice if you want to play defense or not under Bjorkren. I mean, I know we talked about it with McMillan and, and Vogel. You learned how to play defense with Dan Burke here. I think that that same principle will be instilled with Bjorkren as the coach. And I just think that the positivity that we've seen from Bjorkren and, and what Pritchard has said multiple times, very, 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 very positive. Buddy Hill has not had that type of coach since he's gotten the NBA. It's always been these hard-nosed coaches that are hard to get along with. I think a super positive guy like that could be just that fresh breath, uh, fr- uh, breath of fresh air, just what Buddy needs. All right. All right. Buddy needs a breath of fresh air. Sacramento has soured him on life and the NBA. He needs a fresh start. Nate Bjorkman is the guy to give it. He's a lifetime shooter. All right. 27 fits the age group as well. That's something I wanted to point out. I mean, I know Turner is like 24 now. Uh, uh, Sabonis, 24, I believe. Brogdon's 27, 28. Warren's that same age. I mean, he fits that age group because right now they don't have like any super young guys that are part of the future plans outside of Goga, who's like 19 or 20. Aaron Holiday is already 25 years old. So it's just like, and I think part of it too is Buddy's just a name that is on the market someone that's gettable. Uh, Drew Holiday, I don't know if they have enough for him. Uh, same with Karis LeVert. So I just feel like Buddy might be the most obtainable guy they can go out and get that's in that same uh, level of uh, the age group and, and ability to develop his game and, and grow from it because I think Gordon Hayward might be a name that could be a gettable player, but $34 million and he's not going to get any better is not something that I really want to take a risk on. And, you know, you're right. It is a wacko contract. It's just so strange that it stair steps down mm-hmm. from next year. It stair steps down like $2 million a year for the duration of the thing. I, it, it's kind of an, an odd – usually the Pacers, it's like if they do a four-year deal, the money is the same year to year to year to year. Yeah, money yeah. Is completely – like you rarely see him come down like that. That's an interesting deal. Yeah, I wonder if they were anticipating the Bagley extension maybe or um, if they thought he was going to be somebody really good. I mean, they had issues before with the extension. I mean, that was the whole thing. It was kind of similar to Sabonis. Like, I even said it last year, I think, like, if the Pacers aren't going to agree to an extension and he doesn't want to be here, same with Buddy Heald, like, let's just do a swap for both players. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, not that I wanted Sabonis to leave, obviously, but it's like, hey, if he's he's not going to be here or if if they can't come to a terms on an agreement – and move on but I know that it was like a, a, a lot of a back and forth there with Sacramento and Buddy Hield and the and uh trying to figure out that contract so that's why I just like ah, I just think it makes a lot of sense he just doesn't seem happy there and I mean when he was in college man that dude was a baller I mean he could like light it up and I just I like Buddy Hield I do he's not my favorite player in the NBA but he's obtainable and he's got a interesting contract and I think the same thing is weird too with Aaron Gordon a guy that I've been noted for really liking his contract is declining too. So it's just, the Pacers have to make the right moves. Um, so where they're not going to be like really killing their cap for a bunch of seven and eight level players. I mean, cause Buddy Hill probably falls in that same category as well. Kent, you know, Aaron Gordon's an interesting guy. And I can't figure out like, like with healed, you mentioned that he's, he's played on bad teams. And so the question is always with a guy like that, 
was the guy playing on a bad team or was the guy part of the reason the team was bad? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And I don't wonder that so much about Buddy Heald, but I do wonder it about Aaron Gordon. I think a lot of it's fit, and I just don't know what the coaching uh, – the coaching situation there, like they've all kind of been defensive-minded coaches, similar to why we kind of get frustrated with Miles. Uh, because he might not be utilized properly. I think the same could be said for Aaron. Yeah. So, uh, and, like, just, you know, I, I think Steve Clifford's a fine coach, but he's not the most offensively gifted coach. When Rob Hennigan was there, it was awful. I mean, Vogel got just, like, a, a crappy roster. And that's not really Aaron Gordon's fault. I just don't think he is the guy that maybe they, they were hoping he would be. Uh, maybe they were a little bit too excited about him, you know. But – who knows? And uh, another guy that I'm really high on, I might actually like him a little bit more than Buddy. I know you won't like it. It's Zach Levine. Oh, well, I don't think that the Bulls are going to let him go. I, I, I think that uh, he's going to remain with the Bulls. I'd be, I'd be stunned if Jerry Reinsdorf allowed a guy like Zach Levine to be moved. I, I think that he's one of those guys that, that Reinsdorf believes – people come to the United Center to, to watch. Mm-hmm. And he's not going to say goodbye to 25 and a half points. I, I just don't see it. Yeah. Well, I mean, if he is obtainable, I said the Pacers should go after him um, if they can. I just think that he would make – I think he'd be a good Vic replacement. I really do. But I know that that's probably not the people the, – the, the, the person people really want. But I think that he's got the athleticism. His three-point shot got a lot better last year. And he's got it, you know, just, I mean, he's not a great passer. I'll give you that. But the Pacers just need somebody that's got, you know, athleticism and has the ability to go out there and put up, like you said, 25 points a night. Yep. Yeah, I think that that would be interesting. But I'm guessing. You look at that Bulls roster, and if not for Zach Levine, who are they coming to watch? You know what I mean? Trade Victor. You know, Thad Young. I love Thad Young. I'm, I would never buy a ticket to watch that young play basketball, mm-hmm. but I would buy a ticket to talk to him. Yeah. You know, what I mean? like conversations with Thad Young, that was my favorite part of going to practice. You know, David would say, okay, who you want? I'd say Thad. All right. You know, once a week I wanted to talk to Thad just because you could ask him anything and you would get a great, well thought out answer and have a good conversation. I love the guy as a man, mm-hmm. as a player. You know, people aren't. They're not, they're not paying money to go watch Thad Young play basketball. <laughs> yeah, I know uh, if it was Lance Stevenson, Pacer fans would be coming to the arenas <laughs> to watch him. Not Thad Young. But anyway, Kent, uh, this was fun. I, I'll, I'll, I'll be excited to talk with you next week. I know we kind of did like a, a second segment there after we signed off originally, um, but I, we kind of got down a rabbit hole talking about Buddy Heald and stuff like that. But I think that was good content. I think people will enjoy that. But um, Trey uh, is lunatics who like went down the rabbit hole that does not make it sound like you're back selling it appropriately this was a fine conversation no it was it just wasn't like part of the plan you know what i mean (laughs) (laughs) it was uh we just kind of got off on a tangent but hey i like it because buddy Hill is such an intriguing guy and it does give me a little bit of a teaser tomorrow we're gonna have a locked on sacramento kings uh reporter and uh, host who I think does a great job, Matt George, is going to be joining us um, to talk about Buddy Heald and if there's any possible like uh, move the Pacers can make and kind of give out some fake trade ideas there. So if you're interested in that kind of stuff, like me, and you're interested in getting Buddy Heald, I mean, 
this is a great podcast to listen to tomorrow. Uh, we kind of just set up why I like Buddy Hill, but I like hearing someone that covers the Kings and, and has been covering Buddy Hills. I like hearing their opinion on those kind of players. Now, it, it, people love this podcast. They listen in droves. We know this. We see the results. You told me the results. This is people love this. Yeah, I love it too, and <laughs> I probably like it more than the listeners do. But I, uh, I. I have no apologies. I mean, if you don't like my trade ideas, hey, it's all right. We can uh, we can just uh, keep throwing them out there. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll uh, come up with one you like. But, Kent, we can find you on Twitter, social media, uh, Instagram, Facebook, at Kent Sterling. We've got breakfast with Kent, 8 o'clock on Facebook. And then right after you're done on Facebook, you go live on Twitter, Periscope, right? Yes, absolutely. A uh, show so nice we do it twice. Yep, and then you said you have an article coming out about Victor Oladipo. Where can we find that one at? Several. Uh, it'll be at uh, uh, 8.9seconds.com. Oh, are you writing there now? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they've added me as like a uh, an expert, and so off we go. And uh, my Pacers insight will be restricted to that, and then I'll write about everything else at KentSterling.com. Perfect. Well, there you guys have it. Ken Sterling taking over for 8.9seconds. As a lead writer, there we go. I like it. So um, other than that, guys, you guys can follow me at Alex Golden NBA, and uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I'll be joined by Matt Babcock to talk about the NBA draft and what the Pacers might do at the 54th overall pick. All right, everybody, joining us now on Setting the Pace, it is the one and only Matt Babcock who covers – the NBA draft for Babcock, Babcock Hoops, excuse me. Matt, thanks so much for coming on the show. Hey, Alex, thanks for having me. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. So today you, you released a new 2020 NBA mock draft, and I'm just curious here, as we're looking at the top of the board, I know the Pacers in this draft don't pick until the 54th overall pick because they traded their first-round pick this year to the Milwaukee Bucks in exchange for Malcolm Brogdon and the sign-and-trade. Uh, last offseason, which was like, what, 14, 15 months ago. So it's, it's been a while. But uh, I'm curious because a lot of different boards, I mean, every, every board I've looked at this year is all over the place. So uh, just kind of walk me through your process on some of these guys here that you have at the top. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, you know, we, we, uh, we cover the draft year-round. You know, so sort of our approach with, with myself and our staff is, uh, you know, we operate as if we're, uh, you know, an NBA team uh, front office. And so we're simulating – uh, you know, essentially doing what, what front office members do as far as evaluating the players. Uh, once we get into this this time of year, uh, so our mock draft is, uh, you know, a reflection of our own evaluations, uh, you know, not not projecting what the picks are. I'm, I'm not trying to get into, uh, you know, being like Woj or Shams where I'm reporting reporting anything. I think it's sort of a, a slippery slope stepping step into that territory. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yes, yeah, so th- these, these are the picks uh, that we would make, you know, if we were in the shoes of the GM of each team. Um, and so, I mean, it's not, I don't know necessarily how accurate our box traps will be as far as what the order will be at, at the end of the day, uh, but these are the picks we would make. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So, I mean, there's been some rumblings like the Pacers could make some trades with, with who they have on the roster. Miles Turner, Victor Oladipo are the two that come to mind. And, you know, there's been some talk about, Hey, could they trade up in the first round of the draft? Not really sure like where exactly they'd, they'd trade up into. I mean, there's been talks about golden state at number two, there's been talks, you know, that Atlanta's selling their pick at number six, or they're shopping a little bit, and they've got a lot of cap space. Would so that make sense? The Knicks are somebody that's got interest in Oladipo at eight. I mean, if you're looking in one of those ranges, you know, I guess we'll start off with number two. If the Pacers traded in the top three, 
who do you think makes the most sense for them there in the top three? You know, I mean, it's tough to really pinpoint what, what they want to get back because a lot of it would determine on what they're giving up, right? Yeah. So, I mean, the Pacers, uh, you know, although they're, you know, they haven't gotten over the hump yet, they have a good team and they've got a well-rounded team. And so, I mean, I think, uh, you know, they, they've got a lot of flexibility moving forward. You know, if they were to part with Oladipo or Miles Turner, um, you know, I mean, a couple of questions I would have would be, okay, you know, they've, they've mentioned stuff about, you know, trying to be more of a modern type team, which to me, you know, sounds like, you know, a little bit more small ball. Uh, you know, stretching the floor rather than playing two bigs with Sabonis and Turner. Um, you know, so I honestly don't have a great answer for you because yeah, I think yeah. all, these, all these guys towards the top, I mean, as far as their value and talent goes, you know, it's all pretty close. Um, and so it's just depending on what they're giving up. I mean, they could look at, you know, a number of the top six guys, which is my first tier of uh, Anthony Edwards, James Wiseman, uh, Anyeka Kungwu, Lamelo Ball, Obi Toppin, and uh, Denny Abia, which, you know, they're all pretty close, like I mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I'm going to ask you this because I've, I've seen Killian Hayes at the top of some people's boards. I've really grown to fall in love with Devin Vassell from Florida State, a couple guys that have stuck out to me, and, and Tyrese Halliburton. I, I think that um, he's kind of a name that's, you know, risen as, as well. Um, any of those three guys that all make sense for the Pacers if they were to move on maybe from an Oladipo? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think all of them could be in consideration. Like I said, I mean, they, you know, the Pacers have a well-rounded team. Um, but at the same time, I mean, they, they could plug a, a number of different guys within their rotation long term. Uh, and the, those guys you mentioned are all in the, the second tier for me, uh, mm-hmm. but all, all relatively close as well. Absolutely. So I want to I want to jump into some guys here that, you know, are on your board here and, um, you know, on your mock draft and some guys that people might not know much about. So um, one person that sticks out to me is who you have going number 12 of the Kings, Aaron Neesmith, uh, you know, a small forward shooting guard from Vanderbilt. Shot incredible this year, I believe. 52% from three on seven attempts per game. Can you kind of just talk about uh, how you think his game will translate to the NBA? You know, with Neesmith, he's one of those guys that, you know, what he does well translates to the NBA perfectly. I mean, he's the best shooter in the draft. Uh, You know, his coach at Vanderbilt this year is Jerry Stackhouse, the former NBA player. Uh, You know, Stack did a great job of running him NBA-type sets uh, where he's coming off, you know, a number of different screens and and sort of like NBA action-type shots. Uh, and, and he just, you know, before he got hurt, he, he hurt his foot, I believe, in January. And before that, I mean, he just he lit it up. And, you know, really efficient shooter, uh, but also a versatile shooter. I mean, he can, you know, shoot off the move, catch and shoot. Uh, and so, I mean, I think that part of his game, you know, will we'll be able to be utilized by an NBA team probably right off the bat, uh, you know, as he kind of rounds out the rest of his game. Yeah, there's no, there's no doubt about that. I really like his game as well. And, and playing with Stack, or playing for Stackhouse, I'm sure only, you know, kind of helped him see the game a little bit differently. Um, I do want to go back to the top of your board here because Okongwu is a name that just continues to catapult up these, uh, up these you know, uh, big boards on, on most people's draft and um, draft boards. And I'm, I'm curious, what is it about him that is so enticing? I, you know, I, I love the big O. I mean, I, I've watched him a number of times in person and we've done, you know, tons of film work on him and Intel and that there's not much not to like, uh, you know, he, he kind of fits the, the modern game as, as far as being an undersized five, uh, kind of like in the same mold as, as Bam Adebayo in, in Miami. Mm-hmm. Um, although I see Okungu is a more polished scorer and not necessarily the, you know, the, the, the playmaker out of bios, but, but, but as far as their physical profile, very similar. I mean, a big physical force, but also very athletic and, and, and you know, fluid. Um, you know, and, and so with us on this specific mock draft that we just updated, we moved him up to number three, which has been the highest we've had him, I believe, all year. 
Uh, and a big part of that is, okay, we know Charlotte's trying to move up to get Wiseman, at least that's the rumor. Uh, you know, if they aren't able to do that, uh, I think Okungu would be the next best, you know, guy at the five. And I think he warrants, you know, consideration at that high. That, Like I said, that top six is all pretty close, you know, in my book. Yeah, so comparing him to Wiseman, I mean, do you think that he could have a better career than Wiseman? You know, it's not out of the question. I mean, as far as my personal rankings, I have Wiseman as, as a slight edge because he's just he's yeah. so big. You know, they're, mm-hmm. they're both great athletes, but I mean, Wiseman's you know seven foot plus. Uh, I believe he's got like a seven six wingspan, and uh, you know, I just think at the very least, Wiseman's going to be an extremely good starting center, if not if not a really good one. Okungu uh, is right there though too. I mean, it it would not surprise me if in a few years uh, that either one of them you know made an All Star team or two. Yeah, no, and I think what's interesting too, it's like. Uh, trying to project what the, what these teams are going to do because Minnesota, I mean, I don't really think An- Anthony Edwards makes a ton of sense for their team. I, I think that he's the most likely to go there, but I don't know if I love his fit next to D'Angelo Russell. I don't like uh, LaMelo Ball's fit with Anthony Edwards there. So, I mean, do you think they could be someone that, um, you know, takes a swing and a miss on a guy like Ngakwu at number one? Yeah, you know, the, the first pick has been, has been challenging, you know, at least for, for us as far as determining what, what we think they'll do and what we would do if we were them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, when they first announced the draft order, I went with Obi Toppin, um, even though that, uh, you know, in most people's personal rankings or big boards, Toppin probably wouldn't be the first or second guy. He's probably more like fourth or fifth. Um, he just he fits there perfectly. And so sort of like you mentioned, you know, with Edwards, I, I personally think he has the most upside – in the draft, um, you know, he just doesn't fit there that well. You know, and it's not as much the, the you know, pairing him with D'Lo. Uh, they just gave him a first-round pick for Malik Beasley, who, who I think is a really good player. And, uh, you know, he's a, he's a restricted free agent. And so, I mean, you take Edwards, how do they coexist? I do have Edwards going number one to Minnesota right now. Uh, I, I don't feel real great about it. And, I, you know, personally, I don't, I don't think Minnesota does either, and that's why they're shopping that pick uh, yeah. to possibly move back and get somebody else that's – you know, a, a better fit for their team and, you know, and building out their team while also maybe, you know, being able to get another additional asset. Mm-hmm. Why well, I'm curious because up until 2026, the Pacers, it looks like they have nine second round draft picks that made some trades uh, with the Bucks that got them one. They traded last year's pick with Miami for three second round picks with, from Miami. So um, I'm just curious, you know, when you look at this, this draft, do you think the Pacers could use some of those future second round picks to move up? early into the second round. And is there anybody in that area that you think makes any sense for the Pacers? Yeah. I mean, you know, that, that's, that's a big uh, luxury of, of, you know, collecting assets and, and future assets is, you know, it gives you flexibility to make some moves. And, you know, again, I'm, I'm going to give you a vanilla answer as far as specific players. Cause right. just, you know, a big thing with the Pacers is, you know, I, I'm curious to see, you know, how they're wanting to play. You know, I mean, you know, I think Pritchard mentioned that they're, they're looking to make changes in their style of play. They obviously just made a new hire and, uh, you know, so I, I don't have a great grip of the direction they're going. Uh, but, yeah, th- there certainly will be some good players in the 30s and in 40s uh, as this, you know, depth of this draft is pretty solid. Yeah, because, I mean, assuming they would, you know, move up in the second round, I would assume their roster would be intact at that point, not making any significant changes with, like, a, with a major trade. So is there anybody in that 30 to 40 range that you think is just uh, – could be a real big steal? I mean, the person that's on my list right now is probably Desmond Bain, senior from uh, TCU. Yeah, no, we actually one of one of our guys, Derek Murray, just went out to Miami to, to spend a few days with him, watch him work out and everything. And yeah, very very mature kid, uh, you know, big time shooter. I, I think he's he's right behind Aaron Neesmith as far as uh, you know one of the top shooters in the draft. Uh, you know, and, and he's he's older, so I think he could step in and, and play a role. 
Uh, you know, and, and again, going back to you know Pritchard's comments of, of wanting to sort of modernize the, the team or you know have more of a you know modern day type team. Uh, you know, outside shooting is generally a big part of, of playing modern day basketball, and so you know, a guy like Bain could fit because he just he really really stretches the floor and knows how to play. Yeah, no, he's he's someone I wouldn't be surprised if he went in the first round. Uh, somebody like Boston or somebody like that that has a lot of picks takes a swing at him, you know, swing at him, trying to uh, you know maybe steal him and see what he can do because he is a little bit bigger, and uh, you know I, I think they could use some size there, and so. Um, I guess we can go down to number uh, 54. You have the Pacers uh, mocked here to take Mason Jones from Arkansas. Uh, I hate to say it, but I don't know anything about Mason Jones. So what do you like about Mason Jones and why did you have him go to the Pacers? You know, at that, at that stage in the draft, I mean, it's, it's tough. You know, we, we just got to see who's there. Uh, you know, with Mason, you know, he, he's a guy that was extremely productive this past year at Arkansas. I mean, Eric Musselman, his coach, you know, really gave him the green light and, and he thrived with it. And uh, from my understanding, he's really been working pretty hard these last six months, uh, getting his body together. Um, you know, and it's just a guy at that stage in the draft, I think he kind of just you know, gives them some depth on the wing. You know, I, I think the Pacers, you know, until they make some moves, um, they, they've got they've got a lot of a lot of talent. You know, they've got a lot mm-hmm. of depth. And so it's it sort of hard, uh, sort of a hard selection with them uh, as far as, you know, identifying a player that, that fits their team, right? you know, with how, how it plays out right now. And Mason's just the guy, you know, to play on the wing and, uh, you know, proven, proven player uh, that gives them some depth. Yeah, see, I, it's so hard to figure out what this Pacer team is going to look like next year. I mean, and they could run it back completely and not make any changes because of, you know, how the pandemic affected the, the financial of Indiana or the financials of the entire NBA. But, you know, the Pacers, I mean, power forward-wise, I mean, I know Miles Turner is playing power forward, but he is more so a center. And they played T.J. Warren at the four when Sabonis was out during the bubble. But other than that, like, their power forward depth chart right now, as it stands, is Alizé Johnson, T.J. Leaf, and Jakar Sampson. So I really think that that's an area they could target. Are there any power forwards that you like that could fall in the second round? Yeah, I mean, and I agree. I mean, I think either a big wing or a four uh, does make sense for them. I mean, if they stick at the 54th pick, you know, you just got to see what's there, you know, yeah, and yeah. As, far, as far as, you know, in this simulated mock draft that we did this morning, uh, th- there wasn't anybody that jumped off the page of like, Hey, this guy makes a lot of sense. Uh, some of the guys that I, I projected second round picks that, that would fit that uh, Tyler Bay from Colorado, uh, Paul Reed from DePaul, uh, Reggie Perry from Mississippi state, which is uh, he's more of like a hybrid big, like a four or five uh, Christian Doolittle from Oklahoma, uh, Lamar Stevens from Penn state. Th- these are all guys that I think could get some looks, uh, in the second round, you know, that, that play power forward. Absolutely. Well, I guess my last, my, my last question, I guess, for you is, what are some sleepers that you think are, who are some sleepers in this draft uh, for you? You know, I mean, uh, th- there's no clear-cut sleepers for me as far as guys that, that aren't considered being draft picks right now. I think a lot of the sleepers for me this year are more of guys that I don't think are getting enough attention that might get a chance to be a, you know, a late first-round pick or early second. Uh, the one guy's name that he's not as, as much of a sleeper now um, is, is Malachi Flynn from San Diego State. He, he's just gradually moved up my board and, and seemingly everybody else's board too. And um, just, you know, just the kids got it. You know, I mean, just, uh-huh. uh, you know, he's got a skill set that translates, but I mean, off off the court, uh, he checks off so many boxes as far as being a competitor, worker, student of the game. Uh, he's the number one guy that comes to mind. Uh, Isaiah Stewart is a guy that we have in our late lottery uh, that I don't think gets enough attention. And he's just the same, same kind of idea. He's a guy that, uh, you know, I just has the growth mindset, winning mentality. I think he's going to do really well. Uh, Elijah Hughes from Syracuse, 
uh, Cash McStanley from Duke. These are all names of guys that I, I think are probably going to go higher uh, than I guess you know the rest of the media are projecting them to be. Yeah, because I was going to say the last time I looked at Elijah Hughes, he was in the second round, and that was somebody I had my eye on for the Pacers. I said, well, this kind of makes sense if you know he's a guy that could you know fall into the second round. Uh, late, th- I mean, you know, late thirties, early forties. I think that's where I saw him. That was like forty-four on like a couple of different versions of it. So that was my thought on that. But um, yeah, I just I, I think this draft has potential. I just feel like it's getting kind of knocked because there's not a lot of number one talent at the top. But it feels like this could be a very deep draft. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, you know, it's been it's been said all year that this is a down draft. I, I don't necessarily agree with it. I, it's just there isn't there isn't like the one or two guys to kind of cling on that that say, hey, this these guys are are absolute surefire stars. Uh, I mean, I think Anthony Edwards, Lamelo Ball, Obi Toppin, Wiseman, all the all those guys in that first group, they all have all star potential. Uh, but no, nobody's really set themselves apart as like, hey, this guy's the the best guy. We need to drop everything and throw the kitchen sink to to, to recreate our team for this player. So I think that's why a lot of like the negative uh, comments are, are come about with this draft. But you know the depth is really good. I, I think there's going to be a lot of solid role players, guys that do stick in the league in this draft, which you know serve a lot of value as well. You know do, doesn't necessarily need need to be a superstar uh, to be a good pick. Yeah. So this will be my final question for you. I know I've kind of hinted that I'd be ending it, but I I'm just curious because. I really like Tyrese Halliburton and you have him falling to 13 uh, to New Orleans and you have, uh, you know, Carrie, Kara Lewis Jr. from Alabama jumping him at number seven. Um, I could see those being flipped, you know, uh, cause I think Halliburton is, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, I, I think people are really hyping him up a little bit, but I really like his game. What is it about uh, Lewis Jr. that you like over Halliburton? Yeah, you know, I mean, both those guys, they've, they've been sort of in the same category for us for a while. And, and there are a lot of people that, that love Halliburton. Uh, and I wouldn't say I dislike him. I, I do like him, but I, I think I, I see him, um, you know, in a different light as, as a lot of people. Uh, and I think the biggest difference is I, I really question uh, his physical limitations. You know, he's so thin. I mean, he, he has added some weight. Uh, I just I, I struggle to see him being a, a lead guard that can really create a lot and, and get to his spots with the ball in his hands. I just think he's going to get pushed around a little bit, which I think will naturally make him a little bit more of a complimentary player. Uh, mm. Whereas with Tyra Lewis, he's got an elite speed and he really shoots the ball. And I think that combination plays very well into today's NBA. And so he just, just recently, I mean, Kyra just kind of chipped away at me all year. Uh, we, we had some of our guys go see him in Miami. And I, I don't know. I've just, I've really warmed up to the idea that, that Kyra has set himself ahead uh, over Tyrese in my book, at least. Yeah, I mean, hey, you know, I think when it comes to trying to evaluate the draft, it's it's always hard because, especially this draft, I mean, you guys have been doing this coverage now for, what, 15, 16 months? So it's, uh, it's been a lengthier time frame, and I'm sure that the more and more you study film and the more and more you look at things, it, it probably, you know, entices you. And then, you know, the uncertainty of what's going to happen in this draft, how many trades are going to be made, free agency could be all skewed, and there could be a lot of movement in this draft. So I'm curious. I mean, I, I really think – the biggest takeaway for me from this draft is I think that there's going to be a team that trades up to try to get LaMelo ball. And I, I think that that could be the New York Knicks just because they want a superstar on their roster. Yeah, it's possible. You know, I mean, LaMelo has, uh, has, well, at least what it sounds like is that he could slip a little bit. Uh, he hasn't done very well in his interviews. And I think some of the initial concerns just, you know, with his personality and, you know, the word entitled seems to pop up every once in a while with him uh-huh. and, um, you know, I, I, I don't think anybody's going to 
move up for him would be my guess. Okay. Um, if there is going to be somebody to move up in that top part of the lottery, it sounds like it's, it's going to be Charlotte to try and, you know, get, uh, get Wiseman. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll see. I mean, you know, Anthony Edwards, to me, has got the most upside in the draft. I wouldn't be surprised to see somebody you know, try and move up to get him as well. Yeah, no, I think Anthony Edwards is, you know, one of those guys that's got a ton of talent. And I know the comps are, you know, not great. I mean, I've seen, like, Victor Ladipo. I've seen um, – I've even seen some flashes of James Harden. I've seen Donovan Mitchell. But then I've seen, uh, you know, uh, Dion Waiters. I, I've seen J.R. Smith, uh, those kind of people. So, it's just really hard for me to think, like, that's a, that's a big risk for a number one pick. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And we've, uh, we've been bad on that, you know, internally too, uh, you know, as far as, you know, is he the right guy going number one? And, um, yeah, we, we've heard all the same names. You know, I mean, you throw Bradley Beal on there. Um, you know, he, he's, he's a tough one because he's not a finished product by any means. You know, he's got a lot of bad habits he needs to work out of. Uh, but he's got talent. I, I was at the, the Maui Invitational in November, and uh, it was interesting. You know, the first game, he really, really struggled. And the second game they're going against Michigan State, the first half, I mean, he was bad again. And I remember, you know, talking with some NBA scouts at halftime, being like, I, you know, I don't know what the heck I'm going to do with my mock draft. This kid is slipping right, right in front of our eyes. And then that second half, he went off for 33 points and put on an absolute show. Yeah. And then everybody, everybody was like, okay, this, this guy's legit. And, um, you know, and he had a super up and down year. Uh, but just, you know, even just seeing that one game where he went off, it gave you a taste of what, what could happen with him. And, um, you know, I, I think just upside-wise, he is on another level. Yeah. No, I definitely agree with that. I mean, he's only a freshman too. So I think sometimes with these young guys, it's, you know, you got to take a risk. And if you're in the lottery, you're in there for a reason because you're trying to get better. Minnesota, they're in a weird position as well because I know that Carl Anthony Towns wants to win. They went out and got D'Angelo Russell. I mean, this team – is just, you know, they're, they're missing a lot of other pieces. And I don't really think their coach necessarily is the right guy to, you know, get this team in the playoffs. But I think if Anthony Edwards, if they drafted him, and Anthony Ed- Edwards becomes that guy that a lot of people think that he can be, then, I mean, maybe they could compete for, you know, the eighth seed in the Western Conference. Yeah, no, it's possible. I mean, you know, it's one of these things where, you know, we don't, we don't project the trades within our mock drafts. So, I mean, I make the actual picks, assuming everything stays. Uh, but in reality – I, I don't think Minnesota's going to keep that pick, but, uh, you know, we'll Interesting. see. Yeah, so, I mean, I guess what are your thoughts on – what are your, you know, thoughts on that whole Minnesota situation and what are you anticipating them to do? Yeah, you know, I mean, I know they're trying to move it. I mean, I, I've heard from a number of people that that, that's, that's a, that rumor is real. Um, you know, the, the rumors are flying. I, mean, I mentioned before, Charlotte's trying to move up to get Wiseman. Uh, I know Minnesota made an offer to, to New York that New York turned down. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of conversations going on behind the scenes. Um, you know, it's really just a wait and see mode, really. I, wow. It's, uh, but but my, my guess is that they, they when it's all said and done, uh, that they will have made a move by, by, by draft time. Yeah, that's interesting because I've actually heard some people uh, that are in Minnesota that I've talked to, they said that they'd be okay if they, you know, got Oladipo somehow and uh, got a later pick and in a three-team trade. I'm just like, eh, I don't really know if Oladipo makes a ton of sense with uh, that Minnesota roster, especially since we don't know how healthy he's going to be. But I get, you know, trying to go out there and and lure, you know, guys that are, you know, former all-stars and, you know, hopefully, you know, can appease the uh, future frustrations that might come with uh, Carl Anthony Towns because if this guy really is all about winning and, you know, is tired of losing and doesn't really want to be in Minnesota because he's tired of, you know, being in the lottery, I can see why they would make a, a quick reaction type of trade like that to try to, you know, maybe get more of a for sure thing than take a risk on a young guy like Anthony Edwards. 
Yeah, no, you're right. It, uh, I mean, you know, they've got some nice pieces. I mean, with Cad and, and, and D'Lo, um, you know, if, if, you know, Oladipo, I, I could see that be an interesting deal for him. But like I mentioned before, they, they do have Beasley under contract, and he, he's going to be a restricted free agent. So they, they could, uh, you know, keep him long term. And, you know, regardless if you debate, you know, who's the best player and all that, um, you know, still, you know, I, I think bird in hand is definitely more viable than two in the bushes, and they've yeah. already got Beasley, you know. And so <laughs> um, you got to kind of keep that, keep that in mind when, when you're looking at stuff. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. So, all right, Matt, I appreciate you for uh, coming on on the show and giving us some draft insight. Go ahead and let everybody know where they can find you at on social media and what you guys have out on uh, Babcock, Babcock Hoops. Yeah, no, you can follow me on Twitter at MattBabcock11. Uh, then, uh, you know, find our coverage on BabcockHoops.com. I, I also work for a, a couple other entities. Uh, I do stuff for CBS Sports HQ uh, and a new, uh, a new website, BasketballNews.com, which is a, a pretty neat concept. Um, We've got a bunch of former NBA players involved and I'm um, doing some draft coverage for them as well. And Alex Kennedy's kind of run the show there. He had worked at Hoopsite for a long time and um, you know, I'm excited to be a part of that and uh, expect, you know, excited really to, to get through this 2020 NBA draft, which is seemed never ending. <laughs> oh, I know. It's what I was just thinking about. It's like, this has been like 16 months for these people covering the draft. It's like November 17th or 18th, whatever the date is could not get here quick enough, but Matt, we want to thank you so much for coming on. And I know there's, not as much to talk here about with the Pacers, but I think it's still enticing because, like I said, with all those other draft picks that they have in the second round, they could move up. And, I mean, if they have a guy that they like, uh, second-round picks are pretty cheap. So that would make a lot of sense for financial reasons. Yep, absolutely. All right, man. Thank you so much. We will talk uh, to Matt maybe after the Pacers draft and see uh, what his thoughts are on who they selected. But, Matt, thank you so much for coming on, and we'll talk to you again later. Hey, thanks a lot, Alex. Take care. You too.